0: It's episode 517 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast and I'm joined by Bora Hansgrove's Ryan Mullen. Let's cue that intro! The big question is this, how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness and our longevity? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman! I hope everybody had an amazing weekend. Welcome back to episode 517 of the Roadman Podcast. And it's my pleasure today to be chatting and sitting down with Mr. Ryan Mullen, Laura Hansgrove, lead out man for Sam Bennett, arguably the best sprinter in the world, although struggling to find form at times on the comeback from injury. I talked to Ryan about that, about this new role he's finding himself in as a lead out man and sort of leaving behind his TT aspirations, and on one of the most important junctures in his life, becoming a father and what that means for balancing training. And the sustainability of a pro cycling career while raising a family. It's a fascinating chat. I've got a bunch of DMs recently about how to support the podcast. And some of you have already chose to support the podcast over on Patreon. But just before I dive into the interview, one quick plug for Patreon. I say to people with the Patreon, if you see me out in a bar or a coffee shop, would you buy me a coffee or would you buy me a pint of beer to support the podcast and say thanks? Well, if you would, there's a way you can do it virtually and that's over on Patreon. It takes about 20, 30 seconds to support the podcast. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh and you can buy me the price of a pint of beer to support the podcast and it makes all the difference in just helping us innovate, helping us push the podcast forward, uh, securing, you know, amazing sound quality, editing, yada, 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 all the boring stuff that goes on behind the scenes to bring you this podcast. I'm going to leave the link to Patreon in today's show notes, but please put your hands together, unless you're cycling, don't do that, that will be dangerous, for today's amazing guest, Mr. Ryan Mullen. Ryan, right, when I started out the podcast, I used to listen to Joe Rogan a lot when I was starting it out, and I had this cool idea of bringing back not sure if you listen to Joe Rogan, but he has like Joey Diaz and he has this kind of five or six lads who they're basically on tour. They come back every year or every year and a half or so onto the podcast. And I was like, that'd be a cool thing to do. So I'm basically interviewed a shit ton of people. And now I'm on the second round on some of them. And you've made the second round. Calls.
1: It's a privilege. My life hasn't changed a hell of a lot since we last spoke
0: yeah you've been a busy man you've been a busy man on the cycling front on the home front the family building you've got married i
1: have i've been married well i've got engaged got married and now i've, I've, I've bought a dog and now i've got a kid i am did you know
0: did you know the kid was coming when you got the dog oh, sorry did you know the kid was gonna be coming when you got the dog
1: no not at all we got the dog a year ago to the uh, to the week oh well, no just over a year ago and uh yeah then we got married in the August. So we got got the, got the dog in the end of June, got married in August, and then um, my wife fell pregnant in October.
0: Nice. Planned? No, it's was
1: planned. We give it a go, yeah, because we thought, like, obviously, you know, like, with cycling, it's not a long career. And I'm not earning, I'm not on the pig or podjacar car of an art salary. So we thought, well, wow, making respectable enough money, um, let's just try and set up a family.
0: Isn't it really hard for world tour riders? Like, it's you know, I've known of you before, like, we ever knew each other. Like, I remember back you were with Sigma, and because I was quite into TTs, and there was me and a buddy of mine, uh, Colin Cassidy, we were really into them. And we were, you know, just looking at everyone's times, and we'd be looking, going, shit, this kid coming through is putting down some fast times. Like, I think you were doing some, like, around 18s for 10 mile and stuff, and we were like, well, this lad is putting out the times. So it's been amazing watching that sort of evolution of your career from there to, you know, on post. And, you know, I've raced the Ross and stuff, which out had on post, watching you win nationals, then into Cannondale and, you know, into the fully fledged world tour. But you still probably have, you know, what are you, 27, 28, yeah, I'm now? 28,
1: 29, actually. Am I? No, I'm 27, I think. And I'm, tw- I think I'm 20, yeah, I'm 28 in August, 28 in like a week. <laughs>
0: How long do you reckon you can go in the sure, world of I don't life?
1: know. I mean, I'm not the kind of guy that wants to be doing it until I'm decrepit like Valverde. Um I don't want that. <laughs> like, I like, like, I, 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 the prospect of like doing something else other than cycling does excite me. I have no idea what that is because I don't. I don't have a backup plan. I don't know what that will be. But I'd, I, I want to enjoy my life with my family and my wife before I'm too old to be able to walk without a Zimmer frame.
0: How, how many of the lads in the bunch are making the cash where when they finish cycling, they can finish up versus, you know, looking at who's got like Adam Blight's gone into punditry. Nico Roach has gone into punditry. You know I know I've had Nico on the podcast and he's got a comp- complicated situation with some alimony payments yeah. and all sorts of going on. But uh, like for normal circumstances, how many lads are making enough cash where they can go? That's it. That's me doing you know it
1: depends because obviously the more you earn, the bigger your bills become and you live to your means. Um so the guys on a mill a year, like you could quite I mean, you could quite easily you could quite easily drop that. If you want to buy a Lamborghini, you want to buy a Ferrari, you wanna buy a big house with a six grand mortgage payment each month, then you can do that, but then like, like I say, yeah, um it's hard to say. It depends who's savvy with the money, who's not. And I, th- I mean but yeah, if if you, if you, I think if you have like two years, like you got one contract on a mil, a mil and a half, you're done. you are done. I mean, if you're clever,
0: the Sam Bennett wedge,
1: he's clever. I mean, he is clever. To be fair, I mean, he, I think he could stop tomorrow and be sound.
0: <laughs> uh, it was a big move to move from Trek because I know from chatting to you, you were super happy at Trek. You had Mads Pedersen, who's you know ex world champion. You had a good group of lads there, and you were really one of the lads there. It must have been hard to leave the boys and move to a totally new setup. Yeah,
1: it was in that, in one sense, but then in another sense, it was the best thing I ever did, I think. Um, because, I mean, I, I, we had a great group of me, Yasper, Mads, Eddie, Alex Kirsch. We had a really, really good bond. We had a good group and racing was fun. But I, I think it was, yeah, last year around, yeah, the classics, I got injured in my back, Um I just, I didn't, I actually stopped enjoying cycling for about a month. I really didn't enjoy it. And then, um, yeah, the, op, 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 the the option to leave came about, even though, I mean, I had a verbal agreement that track would keep me on for a little bit more money than what I was getting. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, bit of security sound. But I, th- I do think that, Then as soon as the option came for like a a fresh scenery and like a new kind of a new role and a more dedicated role rather than just like the windbreaker that I was in Trek, um, I I was, I thought I was, I was just the person that pushed the wind away and then they had the the free roll behind. But um, as soon as that came about, then I, I was, yeah, I was, I was ready to take it.
0: How does it come about? Is it agents, or is it literally Sam ringing you up Sam and saying, "Here, look, me. I'm doing I mean, something." Sam
1: rang me. I mean, we we've been pretty like we've always stayed in contact over the years. Um, more and more so as the years went on. Um, and then Sam rang me, and so he's 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 a fan of what I do basically, and um, he break and yeah, he's Yeah, like, you are the best windbreaker I've ever seen. <laughs> 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 you are so big. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, basically he, you well, expressed an interest in working with me, and yeah, I mean the caliber of a sprint that Sam is, I just thought well, this is actually such a fucking honour to be asked. Um, and it, yeah, as soon as I, as soon as I got that sniff, I think mentally I'd already like jumped from track. This was, I think it would have been April last year, I got that phone call, and uh yeah. What?
0: It's mental from the outside watching how big, because I came up racing, Sam was a junior when I was just getting started at a train. and it was him, Aaron Buggle, Philip Lavery, where the three, like, they were, you know, Lavery, to be fair, was probably the best out of the three of them at the time, and uh, I remember just racing, and any you turned up and the three juniors were there, it was just a miserable day out, but watching Sam going from that to like the fastest man in the world it's been insane because you look at it it's like well there's the fastest dude in the world but it's still sam and it's like it's hard to almost reconcile those two as someone who's watched yeah. them for you know 10 15 it's, years yeah i
1: know what you mean yeah yeah he's got a, it like i remember him as well when he was in our post i remember my not my first out, and oh was it my first i think yeah one of my first outings with the national team was in a feeder at the europeans in 2011 and Sam was riding for Post at the time. And I remember he, I had this image of him looking really tanned, but now I know he wasn't tanned. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's was really but, fake yeah, tan. He, had
1: the, he, had the, he just looked like the epitome of a pro cyclist. And then I was just there like this six foot two, 82 kilo, 15 year old, like, <sighs> well on here. <laughs> And then uh yeah, I just thought I saw Sam and then I was like fuck, I wanna be on our posh one day. This is so he's like that's what, what I wanted to be. Um and yeah, he was happened to be like the nicest guy ever, like real soft spoken, just dead polite and then fast forward what eleven years and i'm I'm one of his lead leadout men. It's mad.
0: Like, how was cycling changed for you in that time? I know I had a big turning point where You know, I racing locally, I was starting to do all right locally, went to France, race for a year, still absolutely loved it, I was so hungry, racing's hard out there, but I still loved it. Then went to Canada, and I was guesting on a Conti team out there for a summer, went back to France, I was still loving it. Then I signed for an American team, a Conti team, a and I got some cash, didn't make a lot of money, but it was almost like the moment I got that cash. It was like cycling totally changed for me. I stopped enjoying it. Like they started sending me to, you know, I trained for, you know, a two week stage race in the Rocky Mountains, but they'd sent me to a series of criteriums in Detroit. And I was like, oh, this shit, like, and the fun just went out of it. It was like my motivation changed from like i was internally motivated to progress in cycling to this external motivation that i was only cycling to make that cash and pay back my law school loans like what's that transition been like from you i was even flicking on your instagram there before the call and I was like looking back at pictures of you making coffee on like the unposed camper van and stuff and it's been this mad evolution of stepping up teams stepping up teams but now all you can really do is step sideways because all the teams the world tour teams are equally as big as each other
1: yeah um I mean, the dynamic definitely does change when it, like, more so in recent years than before. Like, I was still very much, like, I considered it a hobby that I was just paid to do until, until um, I don't know, probably in the last, probably like two years ago, it was still something I was enjoying I because I I had this uh, mindset that I want to see what I can get out of this body. And then I think there comes a point where you don't actually get too much more out of your body. Um, Like, I I don't know whether or not my capabilities have peaked i don't know i don't know but i do feel stronger this year but i think um, yeah definitely the incentive of you know having a want a family to support now and uh, a wife and you know mortgages and like tax to pay (laughs) like things have like been things definitely changed a lot in the last like i'd say three years um but i think just like in terms of like the enjoyment, it definitely came back this year. Like in a in a weird way, like I, I kind of I wanted to train harder this year for Sam because the, he rel- he's relying on me to be there in the finals with him. And Sam is a better bike rider than I am, so I have to step up. Like a finish that may I mean I may not have arrived at like in the last number of years, I now have to arrive at for Sam.
0: But like you're absolutely motoring this year. Was the I can't remember the name. Was one of the Belgian semi classics? It was the week before Turkey, and I think it was you and Van Poppel in the break. I think he rolled second oh, that up, day, right, if yeah. I remember. I mean, Danny like in the wind, yeah. man, you were absolutely motoring at that race. I was watching it on Eurosport, and I was like, "Oh, Ryan's putting out some big power here that today." A,
1: that that was a what was a four and a half hour race. Averaged three hundred and forty watts for that. Ah, here. Yeah. <laughs> Just in the wind, <laughs> That's
0: horrific. And but and Sam wasn't going super well. He struggled with form this season compared to, and I suppose the hard thing for him is he's measured against that benchmark that he set himself of just being unbeatable a couple of years ago. But he struggled for form a little bit, especially early season. When you look at races like that, you are in the front with Van Poppel and Sam's nowhere to be seen. Is like, how does that affect? morale in the team or is it just I mean,
1: it doesn't, it's part of the process yeah it's just the process i mean sam missed so much uh in, in 21 uh in 2021 and even like I don't, i'm not going to go into the details too much because i don't know if i wouldn't say i'm allowed to it's also his business not mine but he still missed half the winter because things kept flaring up um and even even still now he'll be getting the niggles he'll have a few days to recover and it's uh, it, it hasn't been plain sailing, um, and it, but like his motivation is like 120 percent. Like he's the most motivated man I've ever come across. <laughs> like he just like he got. To, it's getting to the point where he's apologizing to us. And it's like, mate, you don't need to apologize. Like we're doing our job. Like it's just uh, we've got to be patient. Like we're not angry or like, we're not disappointed and there's no 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 one's questioning your ability it's just like we just we're being we're going to be patient like we're doing our job as best as we can and like he deserves that so um it is just a it's just a matter of time like things just have to click like the lead out train we've shown is is really good and like danny danny shane and myself like we work really well together and sam has all the faith in the world in us so it is just a matter of time like sam's working harder than probably anybody in the sport at the moment to come back to where he knows he should be so it's just a matter of time before things click
0: and both you boys skipped the Nationals this year and I know you're a multiple ex-National champion was I assume the motivation of skipping the Nationals was you all thought you were going to the Tour Uh,
1: yes yeah ultimately yeah there was about various factors for me Uh, one was COVID was kicking up again I thought I can't be arsed getting on a flight and getting catching COVID um right before i'm supposed to do the tour but then at the same time if i went obviously my wife was 38 weeks pregnant at that point um and i didn't if, if he came early like i i came early she came early we thought mm, there's a chance to could come early and i'm going to be riding around in the rain bit of science yeah, there if i'm going to be riding around <laughs> the rain in cantorque and then she gets rushed to, rush to Oxford, I was like that's going to feel shit um, yeah cantorque is like 17 business days away from anywhere <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah
0: it's not easy although Dunbar could arrange something yeah.
1: for you get, get a private jet to Manchester
0: <laughs> uh, how is the news delivered that you aren't going to the tour who well, breaks that news
1: actually a, a, well the team were put, were put into a corner because guys dropped out of Swiss with Covid and that was half the tour team so they they had to give them the chance to see if they were feeling all right before they could make that selection. Like they can't just they couldn't just write them off because it might have been like you know how COVID is now when you're vaccinated. It's just like a sniffle for a day and you're fine again. Um, they had to give they had to buy the guys some time before they could fully announce the team. So it was meant to be announced one weekend. I think it was actually the weekend before the nationals um, or the Monday before the TT. Um, so that would have been like five days before the road race. Then it got delayed yeah. until was supposed to be then it was like the friday so the day after the tt uh, and then they did, then they delayed it to sunday and then then they, we got we got an email again on sunday saying um uh yeah the next 48 hours we'll tell you and i was due to fly on the wednesday and then they told me tuesday morning um what the yeah f- so it was really last minute um
0: was disappointing well
1: yeah yes and no um obviously it was Disappointing. That I it took me like 24 hours to get out of the depression slump because I was like, I've been build, building towards it all year. Thought, yeah, first thought to of France was Sam. Um, but what a turnaround the last year has been because, yeah, yeah it, it was like I was kind of living on a bit of a, like adrenaline high of even being up for selection. And then it was like kind of taken at the last second. It was like, felt really weird. Um, but then at the same time, it meant I was then going to be home from my son being born. So then it was just like, Really mixed feelings. Like I felt guilty for feeling sad about missing the tour because then I should have been overjoyed about being there. And then obviously yeah. I was. I mean, it just like it was just really confusing for a second. Like I didn't know how to feel. I was like, oh, I'm delighted. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be there for my son now because like, that's like the most important thing in the world. But then ultimately, I missed the one thing every little young cyclist dreams about doing. So, but then I realized after like an hour of like semi sulking, um, I, I might have like another seven Tour de in me. So what's where I'm only gonna have one son.
0: And, and how does how does it work? Is it like you're chosen or not chosen? Basically, as a unit, was it a case of you, Danny, Shane, and Sam are all going together, or none of us are going.
1: Uh, well, Danny went anyway. Danny's just he, Danny's a really strong old round so there was never actually really any risk of Danny not going because um, he's there when it's sometimes too hard for the pure sprinters, um, and he's a he's a good road captain. He's experienced in the cobbles, and there was a cobble stage. Um, ultimately, they didn't take Sam because they they wanted to. I think ultimately it came down to they had a bit more faith in Vlasov for the overall GC and Vlasov was going anyway, but I think um, they just won.
0: But it, it seems weird though, because Vlasov, uh, you know, you know better than I do uh, seeing him day to day, but Vlasov's never going to win the Tour de France. You know, Vlasov, a fifth was about the best you could squeeze out of him, it looked. And so to not bring one of the best sprinters yeah. in the world, it's for a fifth place on GC, it's, I don't know. It seems a bit weird as a fan watching it. Yeah.
1: I do think he was in, again, has been flying this year. I do think like he would have, like, had he not got COVID in Swiss, like he would have won Swiss as well. Uh, had he not got COVID the day he was in yellow Jersey. Um, I do think he probably could have podiumed. Um, I I don't, I, I, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think it might've been a different race if he didn't catch COVID. Um, obviously the team deemed him healthy to, to race the tour in the first place. Um, but I do, I do think the team, I'm not, I'm not saying they made the right decision, but I think supporting him was always going to be the number one priority. Um, but yeah, I think, like you say, not taking the best print of the world was maybe question, questionable. Uh, but yeah, I don't make the rules. But I, I do understand that I, I support their decision because they, like to take Sam... Um, if they didn't have the faith in Sam, they had to take me, they'd take Danny, they'd take Shane. There's four guys that actually can't particularly help too much in the mountains,
0: and yeah. It looked like a tough Tour de France for the 80 kilo club as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah,
1: and I would, have been, I would have been driving the bus for that club up the hills. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, did you see the footage of uh Jakobsen at the finish line on one of the climbs where he made the time cut by 17 yeah, yeah, seconds? I, I think, that, yeah, that, looked- like, that looks
1: horrific. Cool. That was rough. Sam's a good climber, to be fair, and I'm a better climber than um, I probably give myself credit to. Like, I'm never actually, in, I've never been in difficulty for any time cuts in my life. So, I think that's a TT engine in me. Did you miss the TTs? Um, no.
0: <laughs> but it's like, as someone who geeked out on the tech for so many years, you're on one of the fastest bikes in the world this year, but. You're maybe not getting the opportunity to put that TT specific no, training. The
1: team, in. the team are very supportive of me in that sense. Um, like I still do, I still train on the TT bike. I still train on it. Uh, I was on it what two days ago, um, doing efforts. Um, like I, I, I do, I, I that element me does miss it, but I think ultimately, with it no longer being my job, it's I don't know. It, it, I don't push myself maybe as hard as I should. Like if I get an an opportunity to go full, I go full. I mean, I always go pretty hard in a TT. Some days I do reel it back a little bit or when it starts to burn, I'm just like, fuck, I've got to do a Leo tomorrow, can't be asked. (laughs) Uh, but, but like it's
0: it, ultimately I, like it's it's the difference between being a you know a cycling fan and a pro cyclist because I've had Alex Dowse on the podcast as well and he's moulding himself more as the lead out man as well these days because he's like honestly teams aren't going to sign you for coming seventh and eighth in TTs and he's like that's all I'm capable of he's like I can't beat Ghana. I can't beat these lads that's,
1: well, that's kind of the reason why I made that switch as well um, no one cares about like I was when I was really really dialing into the TT. I think going into 2019, it was like, I got, yeah, the 2018, 2019, I was all into the TT. That's all I was doing. That's all I was training for. Like, I was doing anytime I had insults, I just did them on the TT bike. Um, whereas now, I'd rather TT bike once a week for three hours. Or, yeah, I don't, I think, yeah, but like you say, there's no value when someone's getting top 10s. It's nice. It might be nice to get a top 10 for yourself. But if you're not winning races, like a sprinter that gets eighth and ninth all the time won't have a job in two years. So, like, yeah. it's...
0: You would hope that for Buhani. Like, I would hope he wouldn't have a job, but he just keeps I getting contracts. Tell me
1: about it. There's so many guys who keep getting contracts. <laughs> but but also,
0: I raced him in France, crazy. and he was lethal it's then. A
1: weird, vicious circle. Like, there's so many guys that deserve contracts, but then there's so many who who don't get them, who are trying to come through. And then there's guys that just keep getting re-signed and taken up, but they're just wasted Liker in the peloton.
0: But, like, how how difficult is that to... Yes, yeah, I have a, a headspace that's a little bit restful or peaceful. Like I, I remember chatting to Mitch Docker on the podcast and, you know, I think he knocked 15 years or something out of being at the top level of the sport, but he said he was almost reluctant to buy like a couch for his house in Girona. Cause he's like, don't want to buy a couch. Cause I mightn't be here next year. Yeah. It's like, he said it was like being a perpetual student where you were just living like one year at a time going, well, this could be it. This could be the last year. And he found that so, so stressful.
1: Um, yeah i mean the the job security in cycling is definitely very shit and what i've found as well is actually a pain in the ass in the real world because if you uh if you want to buy a house and you've only got one year left in the contract and you're actually self-employed and you've got no proof of future income you're like um we're not going to give you a mortgage so you can fuck off with that <laughs> uh,
0: to not tell them you could be a gravel bro. yeah,
1: i mean i will i will not do gravel i, do gravel.
0: <laughs> I know you hate gravel
1: It's
0: it's basically mountain biking for people who are too scared to do drop-offs. Yeah, yeah, and it's a nice little sort of, you know, it's like purgatory. It's like that gap between uh, dying and going to hell. (laughs) It's like, you haven't fully quit cycling. I'm finding myself in the gravel place now. It's like, I'm just not good enough to ride a road at a good level. And it's like, you can go out at gravel and you can have some good crack for the day. But I raced that rift over in Iceland and... My god, it's a hard day out. Yeah, like. I'd say it is it's It's yeah, like when the wheels come off, the wheels come off for you out on gravel. It's like it's a lonely place to be. But like Nathan has averaged over 30 kilometers an hour on that 200k loop over there. Like some of these climbs were 45 percent. Like, yeah, it was like scrambling up them with your bike on your it's back. Just, I'm like, how the fuck did he average 200 or 30k Nathan, an hour Nathan on that?
1: A good cyclist, he was he is he is strong. I train with him a lot in Andorra, and yeah. He's just yeah. He he comes from a mountain biking background as well, so I think that technical side really helps him. And he also had the engine. He has the engine of a world tour rider. So
0: it's but it's. I would love to see it as like in a series. Now it it would be nice if there's something like that that is a safety net for world tour riders. That if you know it's possible to knock an extra little bit of career out of something like that because it's world tour just seems such a precarious place to be. Like one bad season and you go from being an absolute hitter to struggling for contracts to next time out, you're almost forgotten. Yeah,
1: about. yeah, it is true, actually, yeah. Um, one yeah one bad season, it's all over, season of injury, or if you get COVID or whatever, like circumstances, you just could be unlucky. Yeah, it can, it can be over. So, like, especially like the guys that, I feel bad for the guys that turned pro in um, 2020, for example, and they missed all that season with COVID. Um, and then if they have a bad season the next year with a crash or an illness then it's two years where they've not had a chance to show themselves and they just get forgotten about and they're left behind in the dust uh,
0: Yeah, I've had Joe Laverick on the podcast uh, we've done a little Tour de France thing we were chatting a couple of days a week about Tour de France and analysing it. and Joe's Hagen-Axon's Berman you know, really cool under-23 thing. but to make that leap from there to World Tour now it's just, it seems so hard Yeah,
1: it is, it is a big I think it, it, cycling's changed a lot I mean, when I Turn uh, pro. People were even then were saying, "God, it's so much harder to turn pro now." But I, I think it's just the evolution of cycling. It's always going to get harder. And you know, you see guys coming through who are 16 years old who are contenders for the Tour de France already. It's mad. Uh, yeah. Like when I was when I was it's 17, like- I didn't even have a heart rate strap. Like, I had a garment <laughs> that I used to put coal into to start it off. It was that old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what's the what's that knock-on effect in the bunch like is the bunch a different feel place because obviously you're having a bit of a change in the guard you had Sagan for the early part of your career is just this demigod who can do no wrong and now he's sort of look he still won the best bike runners in the world he's still rolling top fives in Tour de France stages but he doesn't have that dominance and it's more you know Wilt van Art's Pogacas are the new sort of kingpins in the bunch is that changing the kind of feeling in the bunch because they're definitely racing different. Like even Pogacar, looking at him, he doesn't do the same things that a yellow jersey historically has done. Like when a break of five go up the road, he doesn't stop for a piss and shut the race down. He just keeps racing, and the break seems to take like two hours to get going now. Whereas we've seen, like even you know, a Bradley Wiggins' generation, break goes, he stops for a piss, race shuts down, break gets like twelve minutes. Yeah, it
1: definitely has changed a lot. Cycling's way more aggressive, and tri- like everything's faster. People give less room, there's less respect. Um like people it's yeah, they just fight for every meter of road now, every inch of road even. Um it, it has it has changed a bit. And even compared to even from season to season it gets worse. Um like the first race back every year, it's like, oh my god, what what is this? Like every year it just gets ten percent more shit. And then it just every and then I know, in like ten years from now. I'll just be like, oh, I'm, I'm fucking done with this. I'm, I'm out to see it,
0: <laughs> And the lead-out must be particularly stressful, is it?
1: Well, although, actually, it's not as bad as you might think. The 5K to 3K is stressful. And then, but then because we've actually been quite, we've been really well-organized as a team this year, people actually let us do our thing and try and piggyback off us. Obviously, there is an element of fighting to get in that position, but... What we found in the last number of leadouts that we've done, people actually just leave us to it because they know that we're not going to fuck it up. Um, so we actually do get a bit of space. We get more space than you might think.
0: And are you getting the same gimps to try and jump in all the time, like that are trying to squeeze their way in? And you're like, just get out of the way because, like, we've seen this play out 20 times before. You're going to go up there, you're going to do absolutely nothing, you're going to get in everyone's way, nearly cause a crash. Like, just get out um, of the way.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say GIMPs. Yeah, there's always there's always yeah, like yeah. four or five GIMPs and they know who they are, yeah. <laughs> uh
0: what's the training like at the moment? Last time I was chatting to you, I think you'd moved across to Sebastian Weber as a coach. Uh you still working with him or are you moved across I'm no, yeah, a
1: coaches. Um so yeah, Sebastian so he, I went back to Sebastian last what was it, September? Oh August, September last year. Yeah, maybe September. It was like just before Worlds I went back to him and then he just he... Yeah, because we had a look at my train, and it was like, "Yeah, what the fuck have you been up to for the last like eight months?" And I was just like, "I don't know. <laughs> I just do as I'm told." <laughs> um, but then, yeah, that relationship had to stop because poor coach internally. But it's I'm I'm really happy with my coach now. Um, there was like a, a couple of weeks of like. I can, can I not just like sneakily get coached by Sebastian? Because I had so much faith and trust in him after what he, he said to me. And I watched. Yeah, he's like a it's bad like scientist like or something as a well. a crystal ball. And it's like, here's the date that you will feel good. And that is the date that I felt good. And it was mad. Um, but I uh, know the coach I'm with now, Sylvester, he's he's great. Like he understands life, which is really nice. Um, he, think, he understands that life sometimes doesn't allow you to get like your full ride. Like yesterday, for example, I rang him and said, look, do you mind if I... Take an hour and a half off here and put it on to, to today. He's like, "Yeah, like it's training is not really very important right now." You've like sorted yourself out, sort your son out. Like, I was just like, "Oh, thank you." <laughs>
0: that's nice to have that flexibility. Are you back living in yeah, the UK? No,
1: I, well, I mean, I, I've I've been staying here while my son was born, but I'll be back in Andorra after the racing's finished, and then um yeah, I'll eventually cut ties in Andorra when my residency expires. But um yeah, I've had that.
0: You got you go back to the UK or back to you
1: Andorra? No, after you oh, finish yeah, I'm up not, I'm in Andorra. Not my in anymore? I gave that up. Uh, oh, are you gone? Yeah, gone I'm from, from there? In drone, yeah. I'm still paying a Wi Fi bill, which is really annoying. So I need to sort that out. But you know, Wi Fi in Spain is a fucking pig's dick. So uh, you can't actually cancel them. You just have, the only easiest way to do it is like switch it across to somebody else. You know, a movie star.
0: Uh, the, yeah, I've I've heard the, lads who used to race out there like four years ago still so paying they're their, their phone bill. to
1: race with in Movistar and they're pricks to have Wi-Fi with. Them, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what motivated to move up to Andorra other than tax? Well, yeah, that
1: was, well, tax, altitude and I was done with Girona. Um, yeah, it's just there was a small bubble and you, everyone knows your business and like, it was just a small town mentality of people spreading rumours. It was, I got really sick of it. It's like I was being like year nine again both-
0: like i loved your i loved your own but i always feel like when i go back it's nice to go but then it's nice to leave it do, it feels like a college campus or yeah, something you could get sucked into the riding during I the day drinking at night
1: school, and when i went to drone it was great um because there wasn't 17 year olds there and then all of a sudden fast forward like five years and there wasn't one junior that wasn't there i was like oh, well i obviously they have the right to be there but it just changed
0: but it it, it changed as a place like i went out first in 2010 and michael barry was riding for sky at the time he was living out there and he was coaching me he's like you got to come out here and check this out it's amazing there was no one around it wasn't this cycling you know the cycling influencers all going and living in girona and riding around with gopros yeah. making videos it it wasn't that at all yeah.
1: I, even when I went there in twenty fifteen, it just felt like some good little village town in the mountains. There was no one around. There was just old men walking dogs.
0: Like,
1: just and Brami. Yeah, well Dan Martin was there. <laughs> Obviously there were other pros there, but um it was just like there was literally like ten, twelve pros and like a few good amateurs that were there. Um and then now it's and they used to be like a little community. Like you used to meet you just go to the Stone Bridge at 10 and there'd be like six pros there. Oh we're gonna go this way, I got four, you got five, you've got six. How do we make this work where's the calf stop it was it was way more like way more of a community and then as time went on obviously like covid didn't help um but then yeah everyone just went away and like into the little caves, and yeah it became a misery
0: yeah i remember doing a ride there and bramier text me said like meeting at the river cafe at 10 got to the river cafe at 10 it's just me and Tio Gagan Hurt and he's like what's the crack you mean Bramier I was like yeah then both of us get attacks from Bramier going yeah I'm not going to make it lads <laughs> I was like got a screwing off Theo for like five hours in the hills I was like oh this is yeah. miserable but it was that sort of vibe where it's like there's not that many bike riders around so if you have a training partner to go with it's like yeah we don't know each other but look we're still both going to do five hours let's mm-hmm. go and do five hours together and have a bit of a laugh but that's definitely changed I was chatting, chatting to uh, you know Jack Thompson Jack Ultra Cyclist uh, he's living out in Girona I was chatting to him the other day and he was kind of saying where's the next Girona like where's the next spot is it Andorra
1: uh, no is a bit big like some like it, it's yeah it's, it's way more spread out like people live all over the country it's not really it's not really one place people meet I mean, there's not really many places you can meet um, you see everyone on the roads and but like, like unless you live close to someone you can train with them or someone else closer it's there's not really one main point. Like, for example, I live a 30-minute drive from the city. Some, so a lot of guys live down low, but I wanted to stay at altitude. Um, so like if I wanted to meet someone for a ride and meet in Verde, and, um, you got I've got to drive down. If In winter, I've got to drive down because obviously there's ice at 1,700 meters and snow. And then obviously in Levay is only a thousand or eleven 1, hundred, so it's generally warmer and less dangerous. Um so I I I'd be driving down there sometimes and then meeting someone there in, or a, a cafe down there. Like I have train with Alex when I'm there, Alex Dowsett. Um we meet, we meet there and yeah. It's
0: all the tax dodgers meeting yeah, up together.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Oh, the weekly <laughs> tax dodge <job> meeting. <laughs> How many <much laughs> hey, must- Alex? <laughs>
0: I went out to, Zorona, uh, to Andorra a couple of years ago. A touring company brought me out. So they were trying to run. It was like an Andorra tourist board. They asked me to come out. They wanted to start running training camps there. We left the hotel. There was a group of 20 of us. Now, they were like tour operators and stuff. They weren't really bike riders. But literally within like 15 meters, the group was just like all over the road. Because it's just like you come out of the hotel, threshold heart rate, up a climb, and everyone has a different threshold. And it's like, well, this definitely isn't going to work for a group of mixed no, abilities. I don't know. It's Is it difficult as an 80-kilo man being in a place that's only uh, up here?
1: No, because I train alone quite a lot, so I just take my time, take the first hour, find myself, and then uh, do my intervals and go home and sit on the couch trying to breathe out as much oxygen as I can. Uh, but the 80-kilo guys train with the 80-kilo guys, let's put it that way. So it's <laughs> <laughs> like I train with Alex um, a lot, and then there's some other big guys up there so we we have our own little group.
0: And what do you listen to when you're out trying to your own? You listen music or podcasts? I, I
1: don't I don't really listen to anything when I'm out. I, don't, I like to know if there's some stupid prick behind me about to mill me down.
0: Oh, that's psychopathic shit! I can't deal with people that don't listen to something. It's like you're just stuck with your thoughts. Yeah, for the I like day.
1: it. I don't mind it. I mean. I'm a pro bike rider. I don't think much. That's why I'm a pro bike rider. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Ryan, right, just to finish up. Uh, you, you've, I would say, if you want ten years left in your world tour career, if you want to go full Valverde on it, if you go to distance, you know what does success look like over that time? What's the big, the big picture goals?
1: Uh, I mean, well, obviously, my goals have changed because I'm, I now, like, I mean, obviously, when I was, I wanted to be world champion in the TT. Um, I wanted to win grand tour stages and TTs but that's like no longer my goal. It's like now my goal is like helping Sam win green jerseys in the tour or Punch jerseys in the Quelter or the Giro and um just I just basically just trying to make my career as long as I can and stay as successful as I can. Like it's the day that I can't do a lead out anymore, I guess, is the day that I'll I'll just walk away. Um The day you go for the euro record. Yeah, I mean yeah. I wouldn't mind going back to the track, just do just try and break a world record in the pursuit or something. I don't know. Well, like,
0: Ashton Lambie has that world, uh, what has he got, a 359, yeah. 57 or something yeah,
1: at the something moment? something stupid like that, yeah.
0: Like, he's a good bike rider, but you can see a lot of that's preparation, a lot of that is, it's equipment, it's right altitude, like, he's not, he hasn't got the Ryan Mullen or the Philippe O'Gana legs, he's not a world tour rider, so it must seem quite beatable for you guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, what, I mean, what's wise, what? I think like my best four minutes is like 590 or something, don't know. That's absolutely stupid. I don't, know, I don't know if it's Garner's numbers, but that's obviously on a hill on the road bike. not obviously in the aero position. Um, but I don't know. It's always different on the track. I mean, it's, I, you know, you I, know. I mean, when my career is done, I might actually just be completely done with cycling. I said to myself when I retire, I want to go to the gym and just get as massive and swole as possible, just to see. Because <laughs> I mean, if I look at a, if I look at a bench press, I'll just, I'll just, my pecs will grow an inch. Like I just have that kind of body type where. I just I struggle to not put on muscle all the time.
0: Uh, you surely have to come back and try and win the Ross.
1: I don't know bath, yeah. It would be nice to actually win something, but um, yeah, I think when when my career is done, I might actually be ready just to take a step back from cycling for maybe a, a year, two years, and then maybe come out of my retirement bubble uh, and then have a, have a sniff again. I'll do a, like a Lance comeback. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Start working for GCN. Yeah,
1: someone like that. Yeah, maybe.
0: Well, look, if you need a job co host on a podcast, you're always yeah, welcome. I'll
1: get your podcast shut down by saying something insanely inappropriate like I normally do.
0: <laughs> well, that's what I was shocked at the podcast because during the Tour de France, if you searched cycling podcast or if you just search cycling in Apple, like we were top three. So I think there was Bradley Wiggins, was the top one, uh The Move was the second one, and I was the th- third one. And I was like, this is absolutely wild. Like, I've this, like, I'm doing this in the spare room in my apartment. Like, it's not a professional setup. These have these huge teams, and I say massively inappropriate shit, and have no script. And it's like, it's just wild to me how something like that, like a passion for just talking shit, can grow into this big yeah, video. I do
1: think, though, people appreciate the lack of filter sometimes. It's obviously time and a place, unless you're on Twitter where everyone's an opinionated fuck and you can't say anything. Um, <laughs> But I think on a podcast, if it just flows and it's, like, natural, then people do appreciate it. Like, obviously, like, the bigger the podcasts are, the more politically correct they have to be and the more, like, structure there, like, plan structure there has to be. But I think when you just, like, talk a bit of smack for 40 minutes, then people do appreciate it. Like, I don't even know what I've been talking about. Look, it's been 38 minutes and 50 seconds. I don't even know what we've been talking about. It's just, like, just talking, all <laughs> oh. I-
0: and like my, my notes for this podcast are literally like there, it's a black
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: page. <laughs> I've Ryan Mullen written at the top of a page.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: right. It was nice to chat again. Uh, we'll do the old Joe Rogan rounds and we'll get you back in another 12 months. And hopefully uh, you'll have won. You going to do Vuelta uh, this year?
1: Potentially. Um, it would be nice. I, I, I do want another grand tour. Like, I've, I should have done a grand tour every year since my 2018 debut in the Giro but things have gone the way, like I've been injured, then there was COVID and then, then I got injured again and then this year, uh, just unlucky with the selection and yeah, hopefully now I'll get the ball to, because I, I just think you need that, I need that stimulus again you can't train it. Uh, I just want to get yeah. that like top end level back because like, although I, 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 like everyone says and I do believe it, like, I have stepped up a bit this year.
0: You've definitely stepped up from so Just of- like
1: having that actual like physical Workload from a grantor is only going to pay dividends. Like, if it's, say, for example, if I do the Welter now uh, and then I do the Giro again next year, there's two grantors in relatively close proximity, and then that just changes the engine again completely.
0: And are you on a two year with Bora? Yeah, yeah, I'm on
1: two years with Bora, so this is the first year, and obviously, got next year
0: so that's brilliant so it gives you that kind of confidence to go into the winter and hit it hard again with a bit yeah, of certainty exactly,
1: yeah and if we can yeah, if we keep keep my head down and keep doing a good job this year um and the start of next year hopefully i'll get another two years we'll see see what the team want
0: <laughs> happy days Ryan. Uh, congratulations on the marriage congratulations on the kid. pass on my best here missus and yeah, yeah you. thank you
1: very much thanks for, me. Thanks for yeah.
0: joining me Ryan. thank you for tuning into today's episode this podcast really wouldn't be possible without our amazing listeners who have contributed to the running of this podcast since its inception over on Patreon. So thank you for everybody that has subscribed over there. You make this podcast possible. If you haven't subscribed yet, it takes about 60 seconds and it really keeps this show on the road. So you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh Buy me the price of a pint of beer once per month. It's not a lot to ask if you're getting value from the show. This works out at less than 25 cents per episode. So go to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. And as always, on anything I mention on the show, the link is in the show notes.